It's nice to see you smile. Oh. It's nice to see you smile. <laughs> what I will voice, say man. is, homie, you're rocking, you're rocking white right now, and I'm not, but I've wanted to do nothing but wear white. <laughs> like the last like month, I've wanted nothing but white tees. Bro, you know how uh, like each town has like a handful of, of homeless people who like stay there. Like you have some that kind of pass through and some that stay there. Well, I have no <laughs> idea where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> I know what a fucking ominous start. Uh, so Davis has like a handful of, of homeless people that are kind of like, you could say this is a poor, poor choice of words, but residents of, mm-hmm. of Davis in that regard. And so my old roommate and I made like this mortal combat type, like, classification of these of these people based off of what they look like and um <laughs> we had like homeless holy bernie sanders because this dude was just like this hey. old like kind of like balding white guy who would walk around and looked in the face just like bernie sanders and he would wear every day like a long sleeve white shirt with like a long like long sleeve or a long white pants and like a cream colored scarf and just like every day <laughs> that's just what that makes me think of I love that. I <laughs> wish I could see him just because I like Bernie. So, <laughs> and he seems like a sweet old man. You yeah, know, TBD. Nice but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was actually that's always one of the things I used to actually just realizing, like remembering in high school, I kind of was that it was like baby white tee, and that was like my mm-hmm. go-to when I wasn't like getting all Neil dressed up for the baby gap school. t-shirt. Yeah, it was back to the like the baby gap white tee. It was extra small, but. uh yeah, feeling that day. just a little loosened up now, but yeah. feeling like I just want to be just like basics, white tee, shorts, jeans, whatever. And that's kind of just like the MO every day. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I get that, man. I'm all about, I'm getting back into the tight clothing again. I'm just such a fucking twink. <laughs> I can't do it, man. I as like, I like, we've talked about this. I, I used to love all like the slim more like form fitting clothes. And now I just feel so restricted, but like with everything going on in my body too, I can also feel how much like a fitted shirt pulls my shoulders forward and rounds mm-hmm. me and I can't stand it. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I definitely understand how yeah, clothing really does change the way we carry ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, like physically, like the the actual cue that you get from your clothing, but also like, uh, psychologically, like how you feel in your clothing will change the way that you carry yourself. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think when I, when I wear baggy clothes, sometimes I'll have like worse posture mm, because I, I feel a little loose. Yeah, exactly. I'll have worse posture in the hips, but better posture in the shoulders. It's interesting. Interesting. Cause I'll kind of like, I'll, I'll like dip my hip to one side or the other. So I actually kind of stand in a more like feminine stance when I wear loose clothing. so for me it's when i have loose bottoms is when i feel like shit because they're like super baggy and short anyways and they're long yeah like no it's not happening (laughs) but yeah that's really interesting i like yeah i like i mean i like my junk free that's a Mm -hmm. continued theme i hate underwear (laughs) yeah i mean i once Uh, actually saw your junk half painted blue like uh, william wallace from braveheart so I imagine. And you're not talking intuitive. You're saying physically. <laughs> physically. <laughs> it also had a little kilt on as well. You were saying that. I was like, wait, when did I have my junk out when we've been together? I'm like, huh? And then you, I realized he's talking about intuitively. <laughs> <laughs> I love That's it. Hilarious. Um, but speaking of like tight clothing and shit, you've been working at the gym now. So have you just I been am. 
have you just been all fucking tight teed out in like the little tiny red polo? <laughs> so we have to wear gear uh, from the gym and, you know, they're coming back from COVID and like low money and all those things mm. and like hiring new people and like everything. So there's not too much of like the swag attire left. And so I have a double XL women's V-neck that's form fitted. <laughs> So it actually fits me really well, but the neck is like wide and deep. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much collarbone. There's so much. Yeah, there's so much. And I like V-necks, but there's so much more than I'm I'm comfortable with. Fitted women's V-neck. It's like Like, so specific. Everything else fits perfect other than this giant neck that's probably like shoulder to shoulder open. It's ba- it's almost like a double uh, off the shoulder shirt on you. Yeah, basically. But oh like everything else fits perfectly. And then I rock a <laughs> I rock a hoodie because I have a hoodie from them. Because you're wearing a double XL women's mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I love how much you're loving that. <laughs> oh my god, this reminds me. So I used to date this girl um that would uh, you remind me of these girls that I did. <laughs> so no, I used oh, to thank you. Girl, and she had, she would always wear like really wide, like scoop neck kind of uh, sweaters and stuff like that. And ever, I used to give her shit all the time. Cause she would always, no matter what she was wearing, she'd find a way to drop it off of one shoulder. Mm-hmm. And like, it would be, you could think of it like, it'd be like the, the shirt you would never expect somebody to wear off their shoulder. And she would find a way to do it. And I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? And so that's just what that reminds me of. No, that it's is like, kind of like at one point in time, Neil attire, because Neil was a monk. So there was like a point where it was always one shoulder open and free. <laughs> <laughs> one shoulder, one shoulder out, one nipple out. We, um, when I ordained in Thailand, it was me, my god brother, and my best friend, who's a six, like two, six, three white dude. Max, right? <laughs> Max, yeah. yeah. And um, we jokingly called ourselves MIB, Monks and Brown. <laughs> and we had a moment where the six, two white dude <laughs> is walking up the stairs and pulls a six, two white dude move and like steps on his robe and then his ass cheeks just fall out. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, oh, yeah, uh, tall white uh, dude. From like the group of the white kids from America in Thailand. Like that's exactly what's going to happen right there. Exactly. It's like, like the white guy out of place anywhere where there's like culture kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Makes me think of, um, I guess we're just just telling stories on this episode. (laughs) Like it makes me think of this place in uh, Davis where I went to college called uh, Dumpling House. Mm -hmm. And you can get, huh? my house yeah your house yeah, exactly. you're just hanging out with Neil's we do mom. make dumplings <laughs> so and this place is literally just cranks out dumplings like crazy it's this little tiny restaurant but it's always super busy so uh we went with like this group of like 10 people like 10 of our friends i'm the only white person in the group and we're all sitting there and ordering our dumplings and they bring out all the food and everybody gets chopsticks but they gave i'm the only person they gave a fork to and they gave me no chopsticks <laughs> and uh I was one of like the five people who could actually use chopsticks at the table. <laughs> it's like this is this is such a Props. such a benign, silly form of racism. But <laughs> that's when you ask for the chopsticks just to like clap at him. Like, yeah, I got this. Uh, no, I I just, actually, if it makes you feel any better, I get forks. They give me the fork a lot sometimes too. Really? So yeah, I'm like I probably use chopsticks the best out of my entire family. All right. Bye. I tried to use some straws as uh, chopsticks this weekend. I was trying to like grab a lime out of a drink. First of all, I was sitting on my friend's laps, plural, at the same time. 
um i was out i sent you the picture of me in this like fucking three-way piggyback but i was out with my friends this weekend my buddy's got a girlfriend and uh we were all like sitting in this big group for some guy for some guy's birthday and uh there were so many people around the table. I was having trouble fitting my chair in and his girlfriend was like, come sit on our laps. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I like, they like put their, they like sat closer to each other and I like straddled both of their legs. And I was just like sitting on top of both of their laps. And I had this like lime in my drink and I was, I was drinking a whiskey sour and I was like trying to get the lime out so that I could squeeze it into my drink. And uh, my buddy's like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to not get scurvy motherfucker. <laughs> Some reason I'm imagining you, okay, like scurvy you is a funny image, but I'm also imagining you sitting between two people's laps, like one cheek on one leg, one on the other. And then the space in between the legs starts spreading and you just like fall into this little crack slowly. And then all of a sudden you're just like stuck. <laughs> I'm just like, like a, a kid who's really good at martial arts, just completely full mm-hmm. split in between two chairs. Like, yep, that's exactly what I was imagining. Like a kid just like stuck between two chairs, <laughs> except ass cheeks. I mean, thighs. Except ass cheeks. <laughs> Neil's got man ass on the brain. Zach today. stuck between ass cheeks. I got nothing on my brain today. <laughs> I'm all gunked up. Zach stuck between two ass cheeks. I'd make a oh. great hot dog. I'd make a very sexy hot dog. I love hot dogs. How do you like your hot dogs? This is the most. <laughs> We're going to have to cut ever. so much of this out. <laughs> I don't know. What do you mean? How do I like my hot dogs? How do you take How do I dress them yeah. up? Uh-huh. I thought you meant like medium or like well done or something. I was like, you don't, you just <laughs> cook them all the way through. Or do you dress them up in like a onesie or some shorts or no? Like, yeah. How do yeah, you, exactly. I put, how I put do you, denim how do you jeans take them? on them? Raw denim. Um, it depends, man. Um, I usually will do like raw onions and ketchup, which is like the mm-hmm. only time I'll do raw onions. Um, really? It's either, I mean, they're in the mood for that or I'll do just like fucking mustard. I don't like ketchup and mustard together. I think it's blasphemous. Um, even though they're designed to be together. I take them both together plus mayo. I am like a lover. It's too too crazy. (laughs) I love it. I'm a lover of like the mayo ketchup combination, like fry sauce, basically. I I fuck with mayo ketchup. Yeah. But like, I just like all the condiments. So this is the thing when it comes to me cooking, this is a whole separate thing. We're taking a whole tangent off of our tangent. Mm -hmm. This episode is a tangent, but Right. I grew up with a restaurant, grew up with mom. You know, we cook everything. I can't fucking make things simply. I can't. And I mm-hmm. have to put everything in and get all these different flavors and like get this giant mishmash of everything. That's just the way I like it. I cannot Gotta be simple flavors and just be like, all right, salt, lemon, garlic, like boom, delicious, simple. It's mm-hmm. just everything bundled all together. So, yeah, you know, it, it always makes me laugh when people are like, yeah, I'm going to make this and I'm just going to put a little bit of salt and pepper on. It's going to be so good. And I'm like, am I supposed to be impressed by the fact that you put salt and pepper on something? Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm more of like a smorgasbord type person like you, which makes me wonder, how do you eat your desserts then? Like what kinds of desserts do you like? Let's just make this like, get to know actually. Zach and Yeah, Neil we'll just get to know each other. Like, ask each other questions. This is actually really fun. And like, it's, it's, we both just needed this right now. So <laughs> Yeah, I'm not feeling super uh, spiritual. So I'm not either. Nor am I feeling teachy or emotional or whatever, even though it's Pisces season. But you know, it's a whole Pisces. I am a Pisces moon. One of my very favorite favorite blah, 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 favorite desserts. Mm-hmm. I have two stories here, but one of my very favorite desserts is a Panera everything but the kitchen sink cookie, and it is legit like this giant ass cookie that's the size of your face from Panera, and it has everything in it, like pretzel, chocolate nuts mm. blah 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 caramel like all the things 
that it's mm-hmm. delicious. But on a more so simple level. Good. Yeah. <laughs> your eyes just went wide open on that. Bro. Yeah. I am. I have a fucking, my, my family has a lot of very addictive personality. I have a demon that lives inside of me of addiction. It is just like, give it to me. And I've just found a way to like turn my addictive behaviors into like, you know, productive things. Mm-hmm. But dude, I swear to God in another life, I would be like a 300 pound, like HbA1c 20% like highly <laughs> diabetic, but also somehow on crack type of like person. Well, that that's actually my story of basically why I've been overweight my whole life. <laughs> so <laughs> emotional eating for comfort. <laughs> whole load of root chakra shit i've got that yeah yeah so <laughs> to make this episode even remotely salvageable for our our listenership is um, it at this point <laughs> yeah at this point it's i don't even feel comfortable making them listen to this but you talked about uh root chakra stuff for a little while and uh i wanted to hear a little bit more about like some of the like what you perceive as these root chakra either deficiencies or um like overactive stuff and what you what you've done for them yeah so it just this is crazy when i've like as these last few years have unfolded i always like and you know this is my energy i always thought of myself as very grounded right a very early mm-hmm. person so i never would have figured i had root chakra issues but <laughs> root chakra was like basically one of my biggest blocks and you know back in the woke wasted times when i started to unravel this it was like a lot of stuff tied into birth trauma and separation and like being an incubator so there was a lot of stuff around that i carry around self-worth but it stems from just like a lack of basically care when i need it mm-hmm. lack of nurturance a lack of support when i need it and where is that right now what have i done for it it's come in so many different ways man um I'll say like the most important things I've ever done for it have been, they were actually just guided through the records. Um, It was birth trauma work. Mm. And it came through when you and I first started doing our uh, flame energy work. And it like took me back into these experiences. Like I remember I was sitting in a bathtub and I was like, I just I'm about I to say, to oh, I remember this, work. but then yeah, I was like, don't. you've been in a bathtub so many times. So many maybe times. I don't. <laughs> our very first episode was in the bathtub. <laughs> Um, yeah, I remember just being like, man, like I need to go take a bath. Oh, I'm in the bath. I need to open the records. I open the records. And then like all of a sudden a bunch of energy came through and I could feel through my body and it started to go into my gut and it started to go into, um, like I just couldn't open my eyes. And so it brought me like back, 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 back. And I saw these different moments of myself till I just saw myself like in the womb. And then like the craziest part of it was I started to I was pulled into some birth trauma moments and I started to feel something around my throat. And it was, I saw the umbilical cord wrapped around my throat. I never knew this happened. Mm -hmm. And I had to like physically and energetically unwind it in that moment. And I asked my mom the next day and she's like, yeah, you, you were like upside down in the womb and the cord was wrapped around your neck. It was a big issue. They had to really like, they took a lot of time to get that addressed. Were you a C-section? No, I was not, but I was early. I was two months preemie. I was three pounds. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. They had to like physically like, man, like maneuver me around and put yeah, me gonna, around. Yeah. I was going to say, cause if they didn't deliver you, cause they would, they would never deliver you feet first. Like they would mm-hmm. either rotate you mm-hmm. or pull you out. Yeah. Depending so they, on when your mom rotated presented. me. 
but it yeah. was like also just shortly before like because i was a mess of a birth too mm-hmm. so it was a whole lot of stuff um but basically you know long story short one of the things that i always remember is and i think i've told you this before too the doctor telling my dad's like you got to choose one it's going to be your kid or your wife like one of them is not going to make it and your dad was like no like no. any dad is going to be like no fuck both. off no yeah both yeah. so there's a lot there right like bathtub you know it, it's warm it's wet right it's kind of like being in the amniotic fluid Holy it's like shit. literally like being in the womb you know i never thought of that yeah so it somatically puts you in an experience where you could be like that um and then i'm thinking like when you're talking about severing the cord energetically having that wrapped around your neck, like the things that come to mind are like attachment to family and suffocating, right? So Mm -hmm. the idea that like one could be attached to almost like codependently to their parents, not that I think that you are, but like Mm -hmm. you could be, have like certain attachments to your parents and yet that relationship makes you feel suffocated, right? Oh yeah, that's, I mean, that's my soul like path in this life. It's like my South Node, right? The things I'm breaking free from are comfort and family, Mm-hmm. mine's and, actually similar to that yeah. yeah we have like a really similar one and it's then moving into like my sense of freedom my individuality my just sense of power me in life me in business all these things um mm-hmm. you know and a lot of that rolls through our connection to it of like and our discipline to our work um but uh, exactly what you're speaking to it is that like there the we there's always been a part of me that craves and needs this and then there's another part of me that at the same time is like i don't need a single part of this i'm good and that's always been a dance and a fight through my entire life mm-hmm. of like really honoring family right and the asian cultural values like that's a big big piece and my need and my desire for like motherly attention and then my own personal will and freedom is like, I don't like, I'm good. Like, I don't need any of it. I don't want your help. I don't want your stuff. And if you're willing to get into it, um, you taught, you said like the motherly attention thing, like how has that manifested in your life and in your relationships? And like, are you doing anything for that now? Like, what have you, how has that, that arc kind of progressed for you? When I was younger, like when I was a kid, I was a person who I was like one of those kids who just didn't like being away from their parents mm-hmm. and would like freak oh, yeah, out same. when they weren't. And at the same time, I was also left at home a lot alone because of the restaurant mm-hmm. and everything. Like there was just times where like I'd be home all day and I was like eight years old. And I was like, just, just me. Or like I'd go to a friend's house and I would miss my parents and like freak out and want to go home. And so there's always that level of like, wanting and craving that attention as i got older within relationships i was needy i, I you know I, that's when i first got into my like first long-term relationships one of the things i told her was like you know i'm like i'm a little needy i'm like trying to keep myself in check and she was like every time i checked in with her on that she was like no like you're, you're good but like mm-hmm. there was the internal part of me that really was i was just having to really like hold myself and accountable to that yeah but that's always been the big thing it's always tied into like craving consistent attention and then working with myself when I am really needing it and not getting it or not able to. And in, especially in ways where it's like, it's if I'm craving it in a way that's unhealthy, right? Mm-hmm. Like 
but what I always ended up finding too is on the other end of this, right? Like we, our world reflects where we're at. I found myself with a lot of needy ass girls at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then me wanting to break free from them, like and hold boundaries. Like, no, we like can't, like, I can't give you this much. Yeah. And on an interesting thing too, I've actually, I always find myself around or with girls with eating disorders or who have, who are in recovery in it. And that's always what's happened through my life. Like girls I've been attracted to have always had some form of like ED issue in the past. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Wow. There's so much. Oh my God. There's so much there. Um, what I will say is with regards to like the attracting women with like the confidence issues thing, mm-hmm. my buddy and I were talking about this the other night, like, um, I was basically saying to him, so it, like I said, I was out with him and his girlfriend and with him and all of the girls that he's dated, it hasn't been many, but like the, the two kind of significant relationships in his life. And then with all of my other friends, mm-hmm. I always help them establish their relationships, be it like I'm physically introducing them together. Or as soon as they kind of start to get to know each other, I make them both aware of the fact that they're attracted to each other. And then I'm kind of there as the mediator and help them like build emotional intimacy. Mm -hmm. And I always end up really deeply embedded into people's relationships to the point where I have to call this the T word now. So many of my, uh, my friends and their partners like refer to us as a thruple. This Mm -hmm. has happened so many times that it's like, you know, like I'm just so emotionally intimately involved in people's lives that that kind of thing happens. And so the other night I was saying to my buddy, like, dude, I'm just like upset you know, <laughs> like it's nothing to do with him or anything like that. It's just like, I'm just upset that uh, I've been so present in other people's relationships and yet seemingly kind of like unable to establish a healthy relationship in my life, the way that I've been able to help so many other people do it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that he had brought up to me was like, he was like, you need to start aiming for people that you feel like are out of your league because you haven't been doing that and you've actually been dating like a lot of girls who, you know, kind of lack, not like right. they lack confidence so badly, but like, there's, like you said, like some kind of co-resonant lack of confidence um, for, for you, it was like the eating disorder thing. Right. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what we talked about earlier in the podcast. For me, it was like, I've, I've undergone like a lot of sexual trauma in my life. So for me, it was always like sexual insecurity that right. my partners had. Um, and that manifested usually in the form of like infidelity on yeah. one side or the other. Right. So it's very, it's very interesting the way that these, that these things kind of surface and manifest. It's like uncanny the way that we bring these things into our lives. Yeah, man, that's really interesting. And you, you sharing that made me see something too. Um, and it's something I never really paid attention to because it wasn't important growing up, but like from high school onward, I was also like the thruple in a different way. It was like, mm-hmm. I was always, always husband number two. I was boyfriend number two. I was the best you friend. Were that quote unquote, nice guy. Yeah. I was a nice guy. Right. Made and that's wings, the thing yeah. I've always had to break free from too, was like nice guy syndrome, but I was, and it wasn't out of like, I want the girl or whatever, but we just developed were- that just being like a good connection. Dude yeah. It's just being a good. And I always ended up not supporting the relationship, but mm-hmm. it was always ended up like supporting the girl and like her issue. Oh, interesting. It. Interesting. I had something similar, but it manifested differently. So like I was never like, you know, quote unquote, like nice guy waiting for like the girl to kind mm-hmm. of get out of the relationship. But 
I would always be, like I said, supportive of people on both sides of, mm-hmm. of the coin. And I think part of this is, I mean, part of it's my karma, but like another part of it is, I think I've been a man and a woman in so many different lives that mm-hmm. like, I can see both sides very, very easily. Um, and this, this is probably, this is one of the things that uh, is a big, was a big thing in my life that I had to do so much work on. But like when I was in high school, I mean, obviously I'd be good friends with all like oh, my buddies and all their girlfriends and stuff like mm-hmm. that and supportive. And when my buddy broke up with his girlfriend, um, I wasn't super close with his girlfriend, but I, you know, spoken to her a handful of times. I was always really nice to her, always really supportive of her. Uh, my other best friend was very close with her and was like, you know, let's go spend some time with her. Like, let's keep her a company. You know, she, you know, he kind of got all of the friends in the breakup. So like, let's go spend some time with her. I'm like, okay, right. sure. Whatever. Um, and I ended up kind of having a relationship with her, like a secret relationship with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ended up obviously like anything that is, that is false comes to the surface eventually, like it needs to be remade in, in the light. So you can't hide falsehood forever. It, it is truth is the only thing that's permanent, right? Falsehood mm-hmm. it always has a, an expire date on it. Right. And uh, it ended up being like a real kind of uh it was a real thing for me and for me and this buddy, you know, we really had to figure out, figure all that stuff out. But uh, I've had this phenomenon in my life where um, people's partners become very attracted to me. Um, and it's, I'm not tr- like, I swear to God, like I'm not trying to make this happen. Right. Right. Um, and that's probably it's- why, right. I'm being like so fully myself around these people that this happens and it's been this phenomenon and it's actually been occurring a lot lately as well. Um, where I'll be talking to somebody and then I'll find out that they're married or I'll find out that they have a boyfriend or something like that. And I'll just be like, what the fuck is going on here? Um, so it's this weird, it's this weird karmic thing that I have going on and I don't really know <laughs> necessarily <laughs> what, what to do about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And I think that's, that's part of it too, right? Like you don't really know what you're supposed to do with it. It's just like, it feels like it's a part of just the karmic experience. It's like one of the the things that like, like, you know, we watch ourselves, right. And we're not going to open the doors and, and we're going to be very conscious of the choice we make and the actions we mm-hmm. make, whatever, whatever, whatever. But I feel like there's certain things, lessons, things in our soul progression in each life that we're supposed to really pay a lot of attention to. And yes. one that just kind of just like floats along with us do you i i feel like that's kind of like one of the ones that just like kind of not just floats along and that it stays with you but like it doesn't take a lot of conscious intention and like crazy healing work um you, so oh sorry go ahead finish the question no, i was gonna say like w- would you resonate with that or do you feel otherwise you know um there are parts of that that i resonate with so so i think in my life like like I said, sexual trauma has been a big thing. Like I, mm-hmm. I shared some stuff on one of our more, more recent episodes about some of the stuff that happened to me as a kid. Um, or maybe I didn't, maybe I shared some of the physical stuff that I went through, but there was some sexual trauma in my childhood. And then in my, in, you know, kind of immediate family, uh, you know, maybe secondary family, like cousins and stuff like that mm-hmm. and uncles and aunts, there was a lot of like sex addiction in my family. Uh, so what I was, you know, I was essentially taught like, you need to be with somebody. You need to be sexually active in order to be like worth a damn in this mm-hmm. lifetime. Um, and in order to do that, especially as somebody who was, you know, kind of shorter than the rest of the herd, 
a little bit more feminine and all these kinds of things. I had to be a performer. Yeah. You had to so turn I, it up. Yeah. I had to turn it up. So I learned how to perform. I learned how to like have game and, you know, or, or be theatrical or whatever, whatever I needed to do to create some kind of attention. So there was this theme in my life of not being comfortable being myself authentically. And I feel like this part of this theme of people's partners becoming um, attracted to me, not that, you know, uh, anything comes of it most of the time, other than that, that kind of one scenario. Part of it is like the universe showing me what happens basically unequivocally mm-hmm. when I'm being myself. Right. So right. part of it is just like, learn to be yourself, learn to be yourself, learn to be yourself. Um, and I feel like a resolution to this coming on the one hand, because I'm finally recognizing right. and implementing that lesson that I think it's been around for <laughs> well over be a yourself. decade to yourself. <laughs> And uh, part of the other thing is uh, people trust me now. I mean, mm-hmm. so my buddy whom, whom I was referring to over this weekend, um, he, he knows obviously what happened when I was a teenager and he trusts me. Um, his, his girlfriend is definitely very like open mm-hmm. with like sexuality and making jokes and all that kind of stuff. And I know that he's a little bit more prudent and uh, reserved with that kind of stuff. So we had a conversation at the end of the weekend, like, you know, did anything make you uncomfortable or did anything upset you after he was like, did we make you feel left out? And I was like, no, but did this make you feel uncomfortable? So we're just checking in with each other. And he was like, yeah, some things made me feel a little uncomfortable, but like, I know it's more me because I trust you. And mm-hmm. so there's like, that, that meant a great deal to me. Um, it meant that I think I had, you know, I'd really worked on the lesson enough to be overtly trustworthy to somebody who knows my past. I just like see, I can see like the tension that when it's unspoken and just that being open just allows everything just to be so much more at ease, but for just you and the friendship mm-hmm. and like part of right, the, like the tension that is created when you aren't speaking to these certain things. It creates more tension, even more. It's just like all of that can kind of settle in and like, Oh, okay. Like, yeah, it's here. And it like, that's okay. Like the same way we talk about just like accepting emotions, like, Oh yeah, they're here. I'm like, that's okay. Okay. Now yeah. I don't feel as like shitty. Cause I'm just beating myself about feeling some sort of way. Yeah. I'm not pushing them away and like creating mm-hmm. friction there. There's this, this is not a new concept by any means. Like I'm not going to take any, any, any type of credit in this, but I, what I will say is that I, what I've been, I think starting to, to realize outside of an intellectual domain and actually practicing is like leaning into vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause there's an art to vulnerability. It's not just like openly sharing everything that comes to mind, right? right? It's not just like spewing your shit onto the table for attention. It's leaning into the areas that you're scared of, like mm-hmm. leaning into fear. Um, you know, the, the things that I've talked about on, even just on today's episode are not things that like, I feel comfortable talking about, right. um, but they're the things that are like immediately coming up to mind. Um, and that like, I'm getting kind of stonewalled into those areas. And it's like, well, the only way out is through it. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning to trust that when you lean into your fear and you like basically say no to fear, you go like, I, I recognize that there's fear here, but I also recognize that it's an illusion so I'm just going to continue to walk through these layers or these walls of fear as if they were like sequential sheets of cobwebs that you just had to kind of walk through. It's sticky, but on the other side of it, you kind of get out of the cavern and leaning into fear, leaning into this vulnerability, I think actually creates a life of like 
significant meaning and it creates some of like the best outcomes that you could actually imagine. And I'm just trying to learn how to trust that right now. I think that's the the fortunate, unfortunate thing is like, there's no way to learn to trust it other than to do it and experience it Mm -hmm. and to receive like the good effects and impact that creates as you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Or you both, yeah, at the same time. Yeah. I'm interested uh, for yours though, the, like the craving for maternal attention. Is it something that you feel like can come from your own feminine? Oh yeah, that was definitely a big piece of it. I'm glad you said that because that was something I was, as much as I've grown up and just been a naturally feminine person, I was also greatly disconnected to at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'll say is more so it's it's feeding that piece of me has been more so achieved through opening into my creativity, opening into... Um, things that are just more flowy in nature and coming back in, not coming back into my body, but really deepening my connection to my body and Mm -hmm. going into things like movement, sensuality. um, Those were the things that really helped to develop my, my feminine energy and the need for that maternal energy would release more and more and more. But one of the things I found too, in a similar way to you, um, was like any time that I am not living like around home and I'm out somewhere else, I end up mm-hmm. finding like a motherly figure. And we just like that resonance is there. And like they end up kind of like taking me in and like I end up really helping them. And it's happened basically everywhere I've gone. I've gone. <laughs> There's yeah, been like so a mother there for me. <laughs> That remind. I think we've both. I think we've talked about this. Maybe, I don't know if it's on the podcast or not, but we've talked about how we're both really good with parents. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, we you and I have talked about that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, my entire life, like, I've had so many of my friends and even like girlfriends' parents just been like, they call me son, essentially, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. I, I was actually just seeing my buddy's my buddy's dad for the first time in years this weekend, and I call him Pop, and he's like, "Hey, mm-hmm. what's up, son?" You know, he gives me a call every once in a while. What's up, son? When are you coming to the when you're coming down to the area, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so many, like so many uh, friends, girlfriend, girlfriends, parents being like, so is he going to be, is he going to be the one, right? Is he going to be like a part of the family? We'll adopt him if you break up with them kind of thing, <laughs> like mm-hmm. that whole situation. So there's something, I don't, I wonder what that is about us that like draws in parenting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't but, know. I, that's like, I can't fully speak to that. That's actually what, what I'm, I'm noticing that the pattern is shifting a little bit though, actually in my life. And I, I don't know if you're experiencing this as well, but I've noticed that I've kind of, I mean, obviously in my family, as I be, as I get older and more uh, confident in my, my beliefs about life and, you know, my values and things, I become more of a teacher in my family. I mean, I become more of a teacher in my life in general, but in my family as well where people will like say something that is clearly like an unconscious belief that that person has been holding for like years, if not decades. And I'd be like, yeah, how about this? And I'll just like say what I believe about it. And they're like, Oh, and you can see that they're like a light switches. Um, and I even did this with my buddy's dad yesterday as well. And I, I recognize that like with um, adult adults, you know, like people in their fifties mm-hmm. and sixties and onward, I've actually been stepping into the role of like, 
educator in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, where like the chief of the tribe starts to age towards the elder and has to like pass on the mantle. And it's like, I feel like I've been kind of stepping more towards that role. Yeah. As you say that, I can see that for myself too. Um, the most, the most current recent mother figure for me is, is my TCM doc. It's exactly that. Like she helps me with my own physical healing and a lot of things. And she's been teaching me a lot about Chinese medicine, but at the same time, I'm channeling for her. I am doing healing work for her. I'm Mm -hmm. supporting her with some of her business growth um, and, you know, stepping into this role where I'm like just equal alongside her. Yeah. So, and I have, this is, I actually can feel there's a level of this at the gym too, that hasn't unraveled yet, but I think that there's going to be another as just evolution of this there. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, I have so, no doubt in my mind that you'll yeah. be like leader, a leader there, whether or not you take the title of a leader. Yeah. Um, there's something interesting about this kind of story arc of growing out of kind of the, I, I call it like the prodigal son archetype, like the, I mean, or prodigal daughter, right. It doesn't, or whatever, you know, prodigal person, yeah. <laughs> put it that way. Um, the, the young man or woman or person who shows tremendous promise takes pride in being shiny and having people compliment their inherent innate abilities. Um, And I think that attracts to it almost like a fatherly or uncle type or maternal Mm -hmm. um, mentorship into one's life. And the more that you like and feel like shiny and proud of that, the more that that brings in, and I feel like you and I are both in that kind of bridge or that transitionary phase where we're like no longer in we're no longer wanting to be like the prodigal son mm-hmm. and we're wanting to step more into like the, you know, the chief type of role. And that mm-hmm. takes a transitionary phase where there is some experience that matures the innate gifts of the prodigal son into perhaps this will end up being the chief of the tribe, right? It makes me think of uh, Wakanda. What's um, Wakanda forever? T'Challa. T'Challa. It makes me think of like how at the beginning of the movie, he was like an adult, right? He was an adult man. He was capable. He was skilled. He was experienced and practiced, but he still had like some of this, like these remnants of like juvenile energy on him. And he was technically the chief of the tribe now but he wasn't quite like, or he was technically the King, right. But he wasn't quite at that matured state where he was fully ready for it. Like he was kind of prematurely given the title due to the death of his father. Mm-hmm. And I almost imagine like that kind of energy. Cause by the end of it, he was like the mature King. And like, he had yeah. proven that he was ready to lead his people. And that um, only comes up through stepping through the fire yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? There's only so much preparation and like be having, this capacity within you like that that only gets you so far and until it's time for like if you think about i mean shit like one of the big things we see for men at this point is rituals of maturation right? rituals of becoming a man that's part of what all this men's work is now yes yeah, and that's, that's a big thing yeah. yeah yeah we're doing that ourselves in our own lives and I think everybody in their life has a process, or at least if you, if you know, you, you have some level of maturity, you end up having a process of maturation. Mm-hmm. That was kind of a roundabout, kind of maybe a redundant statement, but like, I'm, what I'm saying is like, there are some people who just never mature in their lives. They refuse to do it. Um, but for most people, 
you know, there's a, a process of maturation, mm-hmm. even, even though you're like wearing the body of an adult person, you don't feel like an adult until you undergo some kind of inner process uh, of alchemization or, or maturation. Yeah. And it looks different for everybody because everybody does it through kind of a different archetype, right? I think you and I can resonate with like the prodigal son one, because since we were kids and teenagers, we've had people coming up to us, be it at like the gym or at school or whatever, being like, Oh my God, like how old are you? You're that old. No way. Like blah, blah, blah. And being like impressed by, by your skill set or something like that. And now it's kind of a, um, now the person who expects the most from you is you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's I'm just thinking of like, it's the phrase coming up is rite of passage, right? There's some sort of emotional inner rite of passage that we all go through Mm -hmm. to get there. But you know, as you say that one of the things that was coming up was like times in the past where I caught myself being like, shit, like I miss that. <laughs> I miss being mm-hmm. that little shining star as a kid and all this potential and everyone like by me and like, you know, give me all this love. And then there's part of me that's like, I just have no desire for that whatsoever either. Yeah. I have, uh, I actually have almost no desire at this point to be noticed for mm-hmm. those types of things other than by the people whom I help. Yeah. <clears throat> like I want to hear the results of my beingness. Like I'd love to hear when people are like, you know, this helped me in this way, or I saw you do this and it made me think of this. And then I went on my own journey to, to figure this out. What I don't care for so much anymore is people being like, Oh wow. You know a lot about this stuff or, Oh, you blah, blah, blah. It's like, great. You know? Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, Oh, wow. That's really interesting. I had, I think I told you this. I had a, I was doing like an eval with a professor uh, over zoom. We had like a face-to-face conversation and what she had said to me, I'd met her during my M1 year. So it's like two years ago or whatever. She's one of the first professors I had talked to at my school. She was like, I, I, I noticed very quickly that you knew how to be shiny. Like you knew how to like put in, put forward a good first impression. She actually said like shine, you know how to like come forward and shine but I, I wasn't confident that you had the substance to back it up is what she said to me, which is like a pretty fucking like raw way to say that to somebody. Uh, and she acknowledged like the maturation that I'd undergone in the last two years. She's like, now that I've at this point, like I, I see that you have the substance to back it up. And I think that for you comes from not trying to put too much on your plate and make the outward appearance seem as though you have it all together. Like you're on top of it when you're not, because it's obvious that you're not. But when you put your focus wholly into one or two things that you genuinely need to do or genuinely want to do, mm-hmm. then you actually bring like the substance to bear essentially. And I, it was basically like spirit talking through her in that moment in a way. Mm-hmm. It was just like such a very clear way of, <laughs> telling like, me what the what the process was for me next yeah it was like everything you needed to hear also yep. didn't want to hear at the same time <laughs> stop performing it's yeah. very transparent stop spreading yourself too thin because you think it's what you need to do focus on one or two things that you that you actually matter to you and just be yourself mm-hmm. enjoy it be that well do that well this is a quote from my my college uh, frat president, <laughs> but he always said, "Like be you and be that well," and that's always been one of my very favorite quotes. Be you and be that well. That's a, a fucking insightful 
quote from a college age dude. Yeah. Well, he was also the similar version of what you and I are. He, he was the okay. prodigal son and is is a doctor at this point now too, or he's a PT or something. But mm-hmm. he he was that guy too. Like he was the one that actually probably convinced me to join, like looking at him and admiring him and some of the other guys that were like graduating, like guy going to USC med school, a guy going to med school and Johns Hopkins. Like there was some dogs. I was like, shit. That is, I okay. love that. I'm so fascinated by leadership. Like that is, cause that's true leadership, right? Yeah. The, the impacts that we have by just being in the world, it, it fascinates me. It really does. Like that guy wasn't like, trying to outwardly be a leader and be like, Oh, I'm trying to get people into the frat, blah, 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 blah. He was just like living his life. And he was like on his purpose. He had integrity. He was moving towards a goal. And he was somebody that you could look up to as the next step in the journey for you and be like, I want that. And I'm going to kind of hop on the path and do, do that path, but in my way and end up in my, and like all the other people too. Like there are probably some of those guys who have no idea the impact and motivation that they had that they had on you by just like applying to UCS med or USC med school, right? Mm-hmm. That type of shit. Yeah, yeah. It was those were big deals coming in. So, you know, one of the things aside from this, that I was thinking when you were sharing um, about your progression, I just saw hours like you were shiny and you had to learn the quote unquote substance. For me, it was always the other round. Like I was Mr. Mature depth and didn't know how to shine slash wouldn't allow myself to, cause I was so shy and introvert and all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and where we're at in our progression now, right. I'm learning to shine and allow myself to, and you're learning to allow yourself to just settle into the substance. Yeah. Not that you didn't have that before, but you know. Yeah. So, so um I have I have very vivid dreams, as Neil knows, and they're very they're usually like very uh poignant when it comes to uh the themes and lessons in my life. And so in this dream I'll skip about half of it, but basically I was like leaving a concert. I was leaving the concert grounds and I was walking with this guy who was in his like mid-30s. Um in this dream, the focal my focal point of awareness was in what I perceived of as my body, but like me in my late teens, early twenties. So I still kind of felt maybe a little bit more juvenile than I feel in my normal waking life. And he was like commending me for leading a men's group, which I don't do in real life. And I wasn't doing in the dream, but I was like, yeah, you know, this is what I'm trying to accomplish with it, blah, blah, blah. Do you have any insight? And we're walking and we're talking and he kind of has this like almost mentor uh, feeling about him. And I'm walking him to his car for some reason. <laughs> I don't know. And we get to his car. He drives this like Jeep Grand Cherokee. It's like old Jeep Grand Cherokee. And up against the back of the car, leaning up against the back of the Jeep is this woman who I've never seen in my real life, but I recognize intuitively in the dream as a former partner of mine. And <clears throat> she is strung out on drugs. Like she's probably on heroin or something like that. And she recognizes both of us. And it becomes intuitively aware to me in the dream that she, that we both have dated her at some point in our lives and that she was very significant to both of us. And so kind of taking that, like the, the, the texture is this person was very significant to, to both of us. She was the one that got away in a sense, even though she was bad for us, like she was not good for us emotionally. She was not good for us in a relationship, 
but there's still like that almost addictive feeling towards her. And from this point forward in the dream, you start to see the way that I react to these, these themes and the way that he reacts to these themes. So she's looking at both of us kind of like dreamily because she's on like heroin or something. She leans up against the back of the car and kind of slides down the back of the car to the ground because she just can barely keep herself up at this point. And I start to feel like a sense of judgment and kind of repulsion. Like, ugh, like I still wanted her validation so badly, but at the same time, I was so embarrassed and judgmental. Whereas he kind of like, ugh, like size, kind of like in compassion almost of like, I have to take care of you now, but like, it wasn't a burden. So he opens the back of the, the Jeep and he like, lay, you know, folds the seats down and lays her down and he finds a blanket in the back of his car and with like practiced hands, as if he'd done it a hundred times, tucks her in. Um, and he lays down in the back next to her and I get into the front seat and I lean the front seat back so that I'm kind of in a sleeping position as well. So we're all kind of falling asleep and uh, they're laying, you know, kind of up north near the front seat so that my head is pretty close to them. And uh, she's, you know, kind of half awake, but she's, and she's stroking his hair. He's like, you know, kind of leaning next to her and he's like looking down at her face and she's like stroking his hair down past his ears. And she's really fucked up, but she's saying these very lucid things and these very like knowing things about him, like whatever his name was like Danny or something like, Oh, Danny, like you've always been such a sweet man and such a kind heart. You know, I'm always, I'm so sorry that I hurt you. Like, don't let your, don't let, don't hide your heart because of what I did. Right. Like people deserve to see it. Like those, those types of very insightful things. And he's has said almost nothing for most of this dream. But every action that he takes, including his presence, is speaking so loudly. And she is paying full attention to him and paying no attention to me. And I'm not necessarily jealous at this point, but I'm, I'm definitely like wanting and craving her attention. And I'm sitting back there and what I feel intuitively kind of vibrating off of my being is this craving for attention and this craving for validation, even though I'm not doing anything about it. Whereas from him, I feel this self-assuredness. He's looking at her and he still grieves what he lost, but he's come to peace with it. And um, he knows his boundaries and he knows what he needs to do. And there's something so attractive about it. I'm not just like sexually or romantically, like he was just a magnet. And for me was like a sense of uncertainty and like a wavering and kind of a shifting and uh, I don't know, like that was pretty much the, the whole part of the dream, but it was just like these, I, what I noticed was that I understood as soon as I woke up that he was a representation of who I am now becoming in my life. Mm -hmm. And the younger version of me in this dream was who I am coming from. Um, and like, he kind of represents my North node, like all of like these Sagittarius type of energies, like silence and stillness and truth and intuition and, and all these different things. And what was represented in the past was this um, outward trying to be like outwardly expressive to get things to come in versus having the inner world fully rounded out, which draws in an external world that matches it. I love that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing it on me. I was feeling the same thing too. I was like, oh yeah, I feel like the stream is just like you and you, like you're seeing yourself and then like the matured version of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, 
I'm, I'm out of words, but is there, at, with sharing that, is there anything you want to share to our amazing listeners? It's safer to be yourself than you think it is. Um, but it takes courage. Mm. Uh, you don't have to look confident to be confident. You don't even have to feel, and you don't have to feel confident to look confident. Because you're not going to feel well. confident until you do it. Courage is more important than confidence. Yeah. And courage begets confidence. The more times that you see a fear arise in your life and you step up to the plate and you, even if you quote unquote fail in the outcome that you're trying to get, the act of making an attempt in the face of fear builds so much self-efficacy and so much confidence that the life that you would have, if you, every time you saw a fear arise, that was not like, you know, there's a fucking lion. Let me see if I can open its mouth and put my head in the mouth and then take a picture. Like we're talking, we're not talking, we're talking about prudence here, <laughs> have prudence and have discernment. But if it's a small thing, asking for the the raise or the promotion, um, negotiating on the price of the house, uh, asking that attractive person on a date, whatever it might be. If you spent a year where you just did every, you stepped into the plate every time you felt scared, the life that you would have in one year would be a night and day difference from where you're at in your life right now. Your life will organize itself into its best possible configuration if you choose to move through the fear. Hey, freaking man. It's raining, man. Hallelujah, it's rain and Zach and Neil. Amen. <laughs> uh, so that's, uh, I think that's it for us, man. I think you got to go here pretty soon. Is there go. anything that you wanted to chime in before the end of this podcast? Nothing more. Take the leap, do the thing, say the thing. One second of bravery can change your life. Be you and be that well. Be you and be that well. Boom. Love y'all.